Hello and welcome to NFL First and Gold, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Eric Allen, the former NFL cornerback. On today's podcast, we'll focus on the key matchups across the league, spotlighting the divisional game between the Steelers and Bengals with Jeff Hobson from Bengals.com. But let's kick off the podcast with our NFL insider. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the Rap Sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, let's start with some injury updates. What can you tell us about Josh Allen's elbow injury suffered in Houston? Nathan Peterman came off the bench, threw a touchdown, but that was balanced by two costly interceptions, helping the Texans win the game. Yeah, including one, including one to essentially seal the game, a pick six there. Uh, Jonathan Joseph ended up taking it in and uh, still waiting official word on uh, Josh Allen's elbow. At this point, the original initial thought uh, is that it's a bruise and certainly something that it's painful, but maybe not exactly something that's going to have a long-term uh, impact on his elbow. But but obviously, you know, we, we've seen uh, an elbow injury for a quarterback uh, cause him to miss two games. We saw that with Marcus Mariota early, uh, earlier on the season. So uh, the hope is it's not serious and that he'll be able to play next week, but uh, no doubt he's going to have some tests over the next couple of days to make sure. Ian, uh, today it was just a total domination over in London uh, by the Seattle Seahawks. Just just pounded the yeah. Oakland Raiders. And towards the end of the ball game, I saw Derek Carr kind of holding uh, his shoulder or his arm. Any word on what's going on with the uh, Raiders quarterback? Yeah, Derek Carr seemed to suffer a left shoulder injury. Uh, was in the blue tent for a little bit. Was seen throwing on the sidelines. That's a good sign. And I was told... Uh, just based on the initial test that he is okay. So no long-term injury, nothing at this point that's going to cause Derek Carr to miss some time. But obviously for you know, for the Raiders, as much as he's getting hit, uh, as much as he's sort of in harm's way, especially the way they've been playing, that's something they're going to keep monitoring just to make sure. Ian, how about the status of Amari Cooper got banged up in the game? And what do you make of the report that the Raiders could be trying to trade their playmaking wide receiver? Yeah, first about his health. Uh, he was in the NFL's concussion protocol and obviously did not return to the game. All concussions are different. All players respond differently. But, uh, of course, he's not going to be back in the field till he's officially cleared by an independent neurologist. Of course, we'll be keeping our eye on that one. You know, as far as the report that he's being shopped, I have not heard that. So, personally, I can't confirm that. But it would make a lot of sense, um, you know, just based on uh, just based on the way that um, – they dealt with the Khalil Mack situation, the big number that he's due next year. Um, if they are not committed to keeping him on the team and paying him $15 million, then certainly shopping him now makes a lot of sense and uh, also does give the indication that the Raiders are in uh, sell mode over there in Oakland. Oh, well, another positive, uh, I love the way Latavius Murray kind of just took over today, you know, 155 yards. Uh, what does that say for Dalvin Cook being inactive uh, another time today and having a running game and Murray and that offense just looking great? What, what's going on with Dalvin Cook? Yeah, I mean, certainly a frustrating day for Dalvin Cook. He, You know, he was... He was supposed to play. Uh, that was the initial initial thought that he was going to play, you know, probably about half the time and got out there in warm-ups today and, and just was not ready. Uh, just was not ready to go. And uh, it's a long season. The Vikings are going to be good. And, you know, he is a, a key part of their team. But, look, this is what good teams do. 
this really is what good teams do. And I mean, we, you know, we talk, saw with the Dolphins game too. They lost their starting quarterback. Brock Osweiler, who everyone ridiculed, went out and threw for 380 yards. Latavius Murray runs for over 150. Good teams are able to come out and have their backups come in and look like stars. And that is how you win in the NFL. It really is. Taking you around the league with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Be sure to check out Ian's podcast, Rap Sheet and Friends. It's outstanding. You can listen to it, of course, here on TuneIn. And let's go back to Thursday. Giants did not play well at all, losing to the Eagles. But Pat Sherman says he's not considering a change of quarterback. Let's say the Giants continue to struggle. Do you anticipate Eli Manning starting every game the rest of the season? I would say that's a stretch to say, you know, he's definitely starting every game because, I mean, the reality is let's say they get to a point, if if it continues in this direction, they're going to get to a point where it's sort of a lost season. Then it's like, well, why would you not, you know, just see what you have? Um, I, Unless my eyes deceive me, I do not think that the Giants are this bad. Uh, they did not play well in the red zone. They battled field position all every, you know, basically the whole game. Um, they didn't look great, but I do not think they're this bad of a team, and I do think Eli has enough left where, at the very least, they're going to be viable and in games with a chance to win it. Um, you know, I don't know if they're going to be a playoff team. Obviously, that would be a pretty big stretch right now, but I, I really don't think it's to the point where they're going to say, all right, well, let's see if Kyle Oletta is the answer, because the reality is he's probably not. Staying with that Giants team, but let's put our GM hat on. So they get rid of Webb uh, this offseason. Didn't really have a great uh, preseason, but that was kind of the, the the next guy up mentality. So if you're the Giants, are you regretting not taking a franchise quarterback this year and kind of getting this team with the offensive line, signing Odell Beckham, and maybe having this last hurrah with Eli Manning. You think if you're a GM, are you rethinking, are you trying to do that again differently if you know what you know now? Uh, They do not think that. They right now are extremely happy with their pick. And look, I mean, I think Saquon Barkley is a special player. And, you know, Barkley himself has made this conversation really hard because he's so good. Right. You know, if he was if he was Trent Richardson, okay, if he was Trent Richardson, this is an easy conversation. We could say the Giants screwed up. He looks like someone who's going to be a Hall of Famer. I mean, he is about as special a running back as you could ever imagine. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they passed on a quarterback. But here's the thing. Let's say they go out and are not good this year, which you know, is possible, uh, and then they're in the position to draft a quarterback in the top five or top ten next year, but you've surrounded him with really good pieces, a better offensive line, a really good running back, some good receivers. I think that's okay. It's not like they were going to be fixed in one year anyway, so if you get a quarterback next year rather than this year, but you do add a generational talent at running back, I personally would be okay with that, and I do think the Giants factored that into the equation as well. Ian, as always, we appreciate the insights. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll chat with you next week on the NFL on TuneIn. Look forward to it. Thank you. Next on NFL First and Gold, the podcast, let's break down the divisional game between the Steelers and the Bengals with Jeff Hobson of Bengals.com. Pleased to be joined by Jeff Hobson from Bengals.com. Jeff, I know a long day for you, so we appreciate you taking the time. What was your biggest takeaway from this matchup? Well, I mean, it just seems uh, if they had any luck against the Steelers at all, it would be uh, bad. They just can't seem to get over the hump against this club. In the, that's the fourth straight loss at home in the fourth quarter. And uh, probably the toughest one there with uh, 10 seconds left. So uh, it's, 
it's a different Bengals team. It's got a lot of resilience. Uh, got a lot of re- because they really shouldn't have been in the game. They were so bad on offense in the second half. It looked like they were nowhere close to scoring. But same result. So uh, go back at it again now with Kansas City. And, uh, you know, they missed a great opportunity to uh, put some distance between them and the Steelers. Yeah, sure did. What area specifically do you think uh, kind of let the team down uh, this afternoon? Well, it's tough to, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, defensively they had a lot of injuries, and uh, but they gave up uh, damn near 500 yards. Uh, and, you know, they still almost won the game. You can't, you can't give up 500 yards. There's no question about that. Uh, but I thought offensively, you know, they don't score until a minute 18 left. And uh, that's, uh, you know, which means, uh, you know, they only had 14 at the half, and then they come out and they don't get anything, and they really don't move the ball until 3.32 left in the game. You know, uh, for an offense that has been so good, uh, that's kind of tough to do at home. Spotlighting Cincinnati football with Jeff Hobson from Bengals.com. Jeff, A.J. Green said this week, this year's team is different. You used that adjective as well a minute ago. Beyond having a winning record, what's different about Cincinnati's club this year? Well, I think they, uh, they've, you know, they've uh, rebounded from a lot of, you know, they, in games they've come up with, uh, they've been able to battle through some, some brutal games. They've been able to, uh, you know, they beat Matt Ryan with 10 seconds left two weeks ago. Uh, they were on the road in the opener in Indy and won an ugly game. Um, in this game, they lost three defensive starters during the game. Vigil, Sean Williams, and Darquez Bernard. And, uh, you know, we're still, uh, they were in this thing with, uh, you know, Tony McRae in the slot, and they had uh, Darius Phillips, a rookie corner, was in there for a couple of snaps. Um, you know, they were kind of piecing it together out there. And it was, uh, you know, it was uh, just not quite enough. But, I, you know, I don't think that, you know, I think in past years, uh, I think this thing might have been over, uh, you know, at the end of the third quarter, but they almost won it. Yeah, uh, I tell you, it looked like you you had um, Brown pretty much bottled up until the end of the game. Can you describe that last uh, that last play that led to the uh, touchdown? Yeah, I, I you know the uh, well, you know how it goes. Uh, I think the Bengals saw it as an illegal pick play. <laughs> I think the I think the Steelers saw it as a brilliant rub route. Called at the right time. They caught the Bengals perfectly. Uh, you know, 15 seconds left. Uh, the Steelers are on the 31. Uh, they're in field goal range, and the Bengals sold out. You know, they're looking for a pick. They're looking for a fumble recovery. They figure the Steelers are going to run. Ben sees it. Ben sees them itching up. They're in, they're, in, uh, they're in zero coverage with no help in the middle of the field. Perfect call, perfect play. It helps out, too, that maybe that William Jackson gets screened off. By Justin Hunter, no doubt. In Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh, it's the block of the year. In Cincinnati, that's an illegal pick. So, take your pick. He's Eric Allen. I'm Brian Weber, talking Bengal football with Jeff Hobson from Bengals.com. Jeff, let's wrap it up with the outlook on defense. Given the injuries you alluded to, what's the state of the Bengal defense with a big game against the Chiefs looming next week? Yeah, I just wanted to make the point. Brown's a great player. I mean, obviously, it was a great play call by Ben. Not taking anything away from them. Uh, but it was a, uh, it's up in the air right now. I don't see Nick Vigil being able to play against Kansas City. I don't see Doc Wazenard being able to get to play against Kansas City. Sean Williams went out with a concussion. You know how that goes. That's probably a no. So, uh, you know, uh, that's, uh, probably, uh, ball game out there on the road Sunday night. Maybe got to hand the ball off a lot to Joe Mixon. I think, uh, Joe was, 
Joe only had 11 carries today, so uh, I would say he'll be. I say he'll probably be ready for a lot of work with the state of the defense right now. Jeff, we appreciate the information. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes today on the NFL on TuneIn. Thank you. We continue on NFL First and Gold, the podcast. Now let's break down the game between the Bills and the Texans with John Harris, sideline analyst for Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610 in Houston. Now let's recap. Houston's 20-13 victory over Buffalo, making three consecutive wins for the Texans. Pleased to be joined by our friend John Harris, sideline analyst for Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610 in Houston. John, do you want to give a game ball to Nathan Peterman, who threw a pair of costly interceptions down the stretch for Buffalo? <laughs> hey, listen, after the way the first three games went, uh, we'll take it. We'll take it any way you can get it. They don't. They don't put in the books as a pretty win or an ugly win. It just goes in as a win. So we'll take it. Uh, thank you uh, to Nathan Peterman. I'll tell you what, though. He made, he made Energy Stadium stress out a little bit when he threw that touchdown to Zay Jones, especially the way the Buffalo Bills defense is playing today. It was going to be hard as could be to go down and score and get a touchdown on the board. So uh, Nathan threw us one. So that was, uh, that was good. We needed that one today. Get back to 3-3 three and three and some help from Baltimore and from Dallas today. Uh, we're going to go down to Jacksonville play for first place. Wow. Uh, looking at the numbers here, offensively, you know, you're not blowing anybody away, but uh, this offense gets it done when it needs to. How are you going to have to get better to go to Jacksonville, even though they were blown out today? How does this offense need to get better? Well, Eric, I think the big thing it's got to do is get healthy. And it's got to start with Deshaun. And today it, it was evident that he was limited in the things that he was going to be able to do after the Sunday night game against Dallas when he took a, a number of shots scrambling for the end zone trying to make plays in that game. He took a number of shots, and I know today he was definitely not at 100%. So hopefully another week's time he's going to get healthier before we go down to Jacksonville. But, you know, we had we had the ball in certain situations where we could have really put that game away, especially in the first half. And Deshaun makes a decision to throw the ball into the end zone. That gets picked off when it's 10 to nothing. And it's the last drive right before the half. If we kick a field goal there, it's 13 nothing. come out for the second half and not turn it over. Maybe that's another field goal, 16 nothing. Now the game is essentially over. But the turnovers just got Buffalo back in the game. It gave them enough confidence to put some points on the board and stay in this one as long as they could. That's what they did against Tennessee. They stayed in the game long enough until they could make enough plays on defense to go win the game, and they eventually did that. Today it was the Texans defense that stepped up and said, look, the Buffalo defense is good. But we're the same group that we've been with another couple of pieces added, and they made the plays at the end of the game to go finish. But one drive was really all it took in that second half, Eric, and hopefully they can build off of that. But they got to score in goal-to-goal situations. I mean, it's as simple as that. They've had seven drives now from inside the five-yard line and scored 16 points. That's got to change going to Jacksonville. We're not going to get out of neutral with this offense going forward. Spotlighting the Texans with John Harris, sideline analyst for Texans Radio, Sports Radio 610 in Houston. Rams recover the onside kick. They're going to defeat the Broncos 23-20. John, after winning AFC Defensive Player of the Month honors, is it fair to say that J.J. Watt is back? Yeah, I would I would say so. I mean, he's got, he's got that, uh, man, whatever you call it, I mean, you guys see it. You know it when you see it. I think he's got that back. He's got his confidence. I worried a little bit about the conditioning early in the year. We went to Indianapolis in week four, and by the end of that game, he and Jadeveon Clowney, and they, that defense was just gassed. 
but they're really kind of getting their legs and their breath underneath them. Uh, and they're, they're, they're in shape. They played a, a great ball game today, really handled the Buffalo Bills as they should have. And they get a big challenge next week going on to Jacksonville. We'll see if Leonard Fournette's going to play and which Blake Bortles shows up. But J.J. Watt uh, was a man. It's going to be the first time that he's played in Jacksonville since 2015. So I know he's chomping at the bit to go down there, a place where he's had a lot of success, and go down there and have more success in 2018. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this uh, defensive battle. I think uh, you guys really turned a corner today. I mean, Cunningham with 12 tackles, McKinney with 11, and then the old guy, Jonathan Joseph, getting an INT in year 13. Uh, really, really did me well. Uh, talked a little bit about how they continue to get better uh, week in and week out because you're right early on there were some question marks about if this defense was going to be able to kind of play up to the the names on the back of the jerseys uh, you're exactly right Eric. and I think they were trying to play up to that to those names they were trying to be five-star players on every single play and you know as well as I do you can't make five-star plays every single play sometimes you got to just do the job that you're asked to do and if that's take on a double team you take on a double team if that's the play zone coverage you play zone coverage but I think they're all kind of finding – they're becoming a, a, a nice jam band now. Now they're starting to figure it out. It's not just one lead singer and a bunch of you know, uh, guitarists and drummers behind them. They're starting to figure it all out, how to jam together. You're seeing Watt and Clowney work together. You're seeing Cunningham and McKinney work together. But you said it, the old graybeard, Jonathan Joseph, coming up with the play. I talked to him after the game, and I said, what would you see? And he just broke the whole thing down for me. He's the guy in the locker room that everybody goes to. After every offensive series, the first person that DeAndre Hopkins talks to coming off the field is Jonathan Joseph. The first person that Sean Watson runs into is Jonathan Joseph. He's the guy that was everything. And today, he made those key plays. He made them at a big time. John, let's wrap it up with the psychology of our sport. You're around this team on a daily basis. What was the mindset of the club at 0-3? How much belief did the team still have? They had a ton. They had a ton. Now, the city didn't. Nobody around the city was, they were not happy. And there was not a lot of trust and faith in this team heading into that game up in Indianapolis. But the team believed. They just knew they had to have something go in their direction. And in that Indianapolis game, after falling down 7 to nothing, they got a break from the Colts. The Colts botched the snap and Clowney got a touchdown. And from that point forward, they started to get the breaks. And they started, that was some good fortune that went their way. And I think that sort of changed everything. And then it was, all right, boys, let's start stacking some wins together. And that's what they've been able to do. Now, this one against Jacksonville gets to be really, really tough. But that said, they're going down there with some confidence, and I think that's going to end up being a great thing for them. John, we'll let you go because it sounds like you are calling us in front of a live studio audience. Always good to have crowd (laughs) participation in the background. Yeah, you know, it's my Brown University. It's my boys from Brown University. We're having an alumni football get-together today. And Bill O'Brien come by. He's our, my teammate at Brown. So wow, my Brown. friends are out here. They're heckling me out here as I do this interview. So uh, <laughs> we better stop it right now before any bad words are said on radio. That's what we expect from the folks from the Ivy League. Thank you, John. We'll chat with you soon on the NFL on TuneIn. All right, guys. Good to talk to you. Now let's recap Minnesota's 27-17 victory over Arizona with a good friend of the NFL on TuneIn. It is Greg Coleman, sideline analyst for KFAN and the Minnesota Vikings Radio Network. Greg, we appreciate you taking the time. Even without Dalvin Cook, how encouraging was it to see the Vikings run the football so effectively today? Brian, it was huge. Uh, You know, this team had been searching for that running game. It was 
you know, they had posted uh, the offensive line on milk cartons. You know, they were missing in action. The running game was missing in action. But I think more than anything else, once you commit to it, and, and, and Eric understands this being a, you know, having been in the trenches, you once you commit to something and you get everybody buying in, all in, um, some amazing things can happen. I mean, we started rookie Brian O'Neill uh, at that uh, right tackle spot. And, um, you know, the guys just made it happen. Latavius Murray just had a phenomenal game, 157 total yards. Uh, when you become unpredictable, that means that your offense can do some things that uh, you get a little swag on both sides of the ball, offense and defense. And, and that's what this team came up and did today. Wow. I mean, just really impressive. Uh, uh, what what kind of attitude did Murray go into the game with, with the week being, hey, maybe, you know, you're not going to be the feature back. And then the last minute, yes, you're going to be the feature back. How was he able to handle that and have this kind of day like he had today? Eric, they've got a very good room, that running back room. They've got great relationships across the board. And, and Coach Palomalo does a great job in – in managing expectations, um, you know, we we hope had hoped that Cookie would play this week, but he didn't. The guys all prepare like they're gonna, you know, like they're gonna start. Even even the two rookies, uh, Mike Boone, and who came in and, and had a a huge uh, a, a huge couple of runs. But um, you know that that's how they are. They they pull and root for each other. And when you have a room like that, when you got a running back room like that, it doesn't matter who starts. They just want to execute and make sure that, that they can hold up their end of the bargain and they can move the chain when they need to. Uh, and it's like that in every room, every offensive room, whether it's O-line, receivers. I mean, yeah, Adam Thielen has is, is just been having a phenomenal year, but Diggsy and Thielen, uh, Treadwell, all those guys, they pull for each other. So that, that, makes it, that makes it so much easier. You don't have all them schisms and all of that mess uh, that so many teams have when one guy's really getting the limelight. Talking Vikings with Greg Coleman, sideline analyst for KFAN and the Vikings Radio Network. Greg Case Keenum was the quarterback a year ago, and Minnesota made it all the way to the NFC title game. What dimension has Kirk Cousins brought this offense in his early run in Minnesota? Well, I think Kirk has done everything that this team expected, and, and he has done that. Uh, he's come in to, and taken a leadership role. Uh, he has thrown the ball tremendously. Uh, I mean, he's on pace to set some ungodly yard in terms of, of yardage with Thielen and Diggs, but uh, his accuracy is is just been phenomenal. He's taken some shots. He's taken some hits. He, he, you know, maybe holding on to the ball to a fault sometimes because he's waiting on those guys to, you know, to get that window. And, and Eric, you know, you you ain't going to have a big window. <laughs> That's right. When you, when you when you talk about NFL, I mean, you got to trust. You got to let that thing go when before guys come out of the break. And and when he's been most successful, that's what he's done. When he gets in trouble, he holds on a little bit too long and, and you know, caused a couple of turnovers. Had another one today. But uh, the defense stepped up. I mean, with uh, safety, uh, free safety, Andrew Sendeo out. I mean, it was safety by committee, you know, um, we had all kinds of guys in there. I mean, hell, I could have put on a jersey. They wouldn't have known the difference. But no, yeah. we had some young guys that stepped up. They, they're believing at what Mike Zimmer is, is, uh, is selling, and uh, they came through today big time.
Yeah. You know what? Speaking about defense, uh, early in the season, um, folks are taking some shots on on the defense, whether it is, you know, getting your linebacker matched up on the uh, running back or tight ends. But, you know, some some of my favorite guys, Xavier Rhodes and Harrison Smith, some of my all-time favorite guys that I love watching – Talk to us a little bit about their impact today. Harrison had a sack, seven tackles. Um, Hunter had a big game. Talk to us a little bit about how the defense have been able to kind of get back into that uh, dominant mode like they were last year. Well, it starts up front. Obviously, missing in Everson Griffin, who's out. Uh, we're not sure how long with uh, with some he- mental health issues, and we wish Ev all the best uh, as a as a person first, and then football comes much much later. But uh, Stephen Waverly has stepped in and done a tremendous job uh, with uh, uh, you know Linville Joseph up the middle, you know, and, and Sheldon Richardson. When you can push the pocket. And you get the guys on the outside, like Daniil Hunter. Daniil is, I think, is the only guy in the NFL that's had a sack in every game so far this season. Uh, his upside is tremendous, tremendous. A year ago, I think he had 12 and a half sacks. Last year, slacked off a little bit with seven or eight. But he improved so much as a football player, and, and he's really starting to, to, to really grasp what playing that position is all about. <clears throat> yeah, he took over for Brian Robinson, who was just a, a tremendous uh, mentor and tutor for him. But uh, I, I think Mike Zimmer came up and, and made some aggressive calls. You get Anthony Barr flying around over the last several weeks, playing like they – and you'll get this. They played with a lot of swag today. When you When you can do that, when you can get to the quarterback, when you can frustrate a young quarterback – uh, you can make some sacks. You can get some turnovers, and that and guys feed on that. They feed on that, and and they really look like this defensive old. Uh, so it's not going to be get any easier. We go into New York next week, and and the Jets are playing pretty good football right yep. now. Greg, as always, we appreciate the information. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Oh, you got it, Brian. Eric, be well, man. You Talk too, to my you. man. Greg Coleman, former Viking punter, sideline analyst, KFAN, Vikings Radio Network. This is NFL First and Goal, the podcast. Now let's focus on the matchup between the Chargers and the Browns with Dave DiNatale from WKYC-TV in Cleveland. Now let's spotlight the Chargers 38-14 victory over the Browns. Pleased to be joined by Dave DiNatale from WKYC-Television in Cleveland. Dave, did this game tell you more about the Chargers or the Browns? Well, I think I think it answered actually probably some more questions about the the Chargers than I think it did the Browns. I think the Browns kind of um, came into this thing from a Cleveland perspective uh, because they had just knocked off the Ravens, and I think they kind of felt like, you know, boy, they we almost had that that air of, of overconfidence a little bit. I think coming into it, and that's kind of uh, the Chargers came in and, and really handled Cleveland today on both sides of the football today. They were very very impressive from start to finish well i'll tell you i mean philip rivers has continued to play at an extremely high level gordon had just looked fantastic today uh and and i thought it was going to be a really good matchup with the young corner against keenan allen and those guys kind of what happened today with that defense as far as cleveland is concerned 
You know, I think, Eric, one of the things that coming in, Rivers wanted to get the ball out quickly and not be in a position where, you know, he was going to take, you know, be in the pocket an extra long time to allow Miles Garrett and company to get to him. And I think he was very decisive. I think the way that the Chargers also went to some no huddle early. And I think that kind of unnerved the Browns defense a little bit. They just never got into any kind of a, of a rhythm to, to get at Rivers and to force mistakes. I mean, the Browns came in plus eight in the turnover margin, and that never really was a factor today. They never put Rivers in a position where turnovers could be a, a problem for him. And even though field position for most part in the first half was dominated by Cleveland, um, the Chargers were able to move the football and, and get some quick scores and really take the crowd out of the game, too. And I thought that was another big key to today. You know, uh, Los Angeles was able to score quickly and sap the momentum that really had been building over the last couple of weeks in Cleveland. Dave, let's move beyond the specifics of today's game with LeBron James gone. Is Baker Mayfield already the most popular athlete in the city of Cleveland? Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, even even on a day when Joe Thomas was being honored uh, for his consecutive games uh, snap streak that that he had had before he retired and before he had the injury, he was wearing a Baker Mayfield jersey today. So, I mean, that should tell you everything you need to know. He really is, guys. It's amazing how... Um, and, and again, the young man's a rookie, and, and he's going to have the ups and the downs. But I think the belief now that this team has found their franchise quarterback, and it, it's amazing how much that provides uh, a confidence, I think, not just for the Browns themselves, but for their fans, that, well, we finally got this quarterback thing solved, and now you just kind of go, phew, okay, now what else do we need to do to get better <laughs> going forward? Yeah. Will this coaching staff be able to kind of uh, stay around to see Baker kind of blow up with this team being the new America's team? I, You know, that's going to be a big question here now, Eric, is that, you know, you look at it, they're 2-3-1. They're and one. I mean, that's not great, but certainly for the Cleveland Browns over the last couple of years, it's not bad. Um, I, I, I think you hope that, 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 that you have continuity for him, because that's been the one problem that every Browns quarterback has had since 1999. There's never been a continuity of coaches, offensive coordinators, quarterback coaches, uh, to work with them, to develop them, to, to get him in um, a pattern of, of excellence of play for a sustained period of time because there's always been change here. And, I mean, Hugh Jackson's on the hot seat. There's no question about it. Uh, I think a lot of us who cover the Browns were surprised that when they hired John Dorsey to be the GM and to basically you know pick the 53-man roster that he didn't want to bring in his own head coach, they were going to stay with Hugh and give him another opportunity, um, albeit with Todd Haley now as his offensive coordinator. It, it's an interesting dynamic. I think we all saw it this summer when we watched Hard Knocks that, you know, Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley come from kind of a different mentality and a different background as to how they approach the game of football and how they approach offense. They, and it's not to say they can't work with each other well. I think they have, but um, it, it, it's a different dichotomy, and I think it's something to watch if the Browns continue to kind of hover and, and, and don't take enough steps forward, then I think there's going to be that question as to who is the best person to lead this franchise and lead Baker Mayfield in the future. Chatting with Dave DiNatale from WKYC Television in Cleveland.
Dave, a final thought on some takeaways from today. And as you acknowledge, the Chargers have a lot of offensive firepower. So from the Cleveland point of view, do you think defensively this was a bit of an aberration because the Cleveland D has made great strides? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was because the the Browns handled, for example, New Orleans very well a couple of weeks ago, and, and not too many teams handled Drew Brees and company well, but I thought the Browns' defense on the road played very well in that sort of a scenario, a, a similar type of offense. It, it's a disappointment, and I think everybody's going to look at the fact that the Browns' offense sputtered today, um, but the, I think the defense not playing well, I think, was a letdown. You know, you knew coming in, you knew what Gordon was going to do, you knew what Allen could do, and company, but I think the fact that um, you know Denzel Ward, we've, we've you know with we'll talk about Baker Mayfield. I mean Denzel Ward has had a super start to his season as a rookie, young man from this Cleveland area and from Ohio State. But um, you know he he couldn't come up with any kind of explosive plays today either. And um, I, I think it's going to be a hiccup. I think I think this defense is going to be very good throughout the season. I do think today was a hiccup. Um, it's going to be interesting though. I think. Going going into next week in Tampa Bay to see how this offense reacts and how Mayfield reacts and how he goes into getting himself better and improving after his first really rough go as a starting quarterback. Dave, we appreciate the analysis. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today on the NFL on TuneIn. Yeah, Brian, Eric, always a pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. Let's close out the podcast with the intersection of football and physics. It's time for the Playing with Science Checkdown, where science and sports collide. And for that, we'll bring in our friends Chuck Nice and Dr. Eric Goff in a moment. First, let's cue up the highlight machine. Cam Newton going to the end zone in our nation's capital, finding Devin Funches. Fellas, take us through that play. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it was. Uh, Looks like Quentin Dunbar got totally mossed. Uh, Professor... Tell us, how did it happen? Well, Chuck, I happen to be talking to you from Huntington, West Virginia right now, home of Marshall University, and this is where the real mossing of defensive backs began. Like the newly minted Hall of Famer Randy Moss, Devin Funches is six foot four inches tall. He lined up against six foot two inch Quentin Dunbar on the far left side of the formation. Panthers six foot five inch quarterback Cam Newton took the snap from the shotgun and pedaled back to the 31-yard line before throwing the ball. Newton's pass left his hand at 46.5 miles per hour, just over 27 degrees above the horizontal. But as much fun as it is to look at football aerodynamics, I want to focus on the TD catch. Newton's pass arrived at the one-yard line, hitting Funchess's glove hands at 42 miles per hour. Funchess leaped above Dunbar, allowing his forward momentum to carry him into the end zone. Funchess managed to leap over 1.3 feet into the air when he caught the ball. His leap kept him above the turf more than twice as long as Dunbar's leap. Funchess's gloved hand stopped the ball using a lot of friction. When Funchess landed on the turf with his left shoe, he was holding the ball in his right hand well out of Dunbar's reach. The best Dunbar could do was yank on Funchess's face mask with his left hand. Hang time is a wonderful thing. For any of us who leap into the air, we spend nearly 71% of our time above Earth in the top half of our motion. Do as Funchess did to Dunbar, and you'll have more time to hang at the top of your flight. Funchess used his hang time to moss Devin Dunbar. Well, there you have it. Uh, Funchess sounds like a delicious snack treat, but it looks like (laughs) it was Dunbar who got eaten on this play. Chuck, you have plenty of street cred. When's the last time you got mossed? (laughs) 
I got to tell you something. Uh, I believe it was uh, an elementary school game that I played just last week. <laughs> and we'll save that for the podcast. Fellas, always a pleasure. We'll chat with you next week. You got it. It was the Playing With Science Checkdown. All free, only on TuneIn.